Hey guys, and welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome to the only show hosted by little old me where I talk to big time celebrities, uh, introduced by me and Sammy, Sammy Heller. Hi, Sammy. I thought you were going to say the only show hosted by little old men. (laughs) I'm turning into one, so. um, I was like, that was weird. (laughs) Well. Art of the introduction yeah, I haven't quite mastered too, yet. Yeah. Um, this week on the show is uh, a really cool interview with a smart guy, someone that I've uh, interviewed a bunch over the years with a, a really fun new movie, Now You See Me Too. Um, and I'm, I, I'll be honest, I'm as frankly surprised uh, that I liked Now You See Me Too as much as anyone because it's not necessarily... The first film was okay, it was fine. And I went to the second one, I'm like, okay, is this going to be great? Is this really a franchise? This is the kind of like the magic caper movie with this like insane cast i had a blast watching now you see me too it's a it's a really fun movie um with a great cast um most of the folks from the first one are back um mark ruffalo jesse eisenberg woody harrelson woody harrelson plays uh his own twin brother (laughs) it's so weird i love that but great um and daniel radcliffe's in it this time good good old bud dan rad and uh anyway the guest this week is back in the magic game sorry calm down you had an epiphany um uh the film is directed by our guest this week john chu john chu is someone who um i he's kind of rise and his like filmography has kind of coincided with my run at mtv in that in the last like seven eight years he's been very very prolific he uh, hit the scene with um, two of the Step Up movies, Step Up Two and Step Up Three D, and uh, and and they and they were films that did very well and people liked. And then he went on to do um, things like the, the GI Joe sequel, and he did two Justin Bieber docs, which were obviously very successful. Um, and you Never know, Say Never is great. By uh, the way. Look, like, it made me actually kind of enjoy right. Justin Bieber for ninety minutes. That's yeah. a that's a that's a gift. Was, yeah, that's a that's like. A group, the perfect, the dream in terms of those movies. It's like you want something like that. I think. Yeah, yeah, and John, and John is is definitely like a go getter and somebody that's um, always in the mix for high profile big projects. And uh, this was a very candid conversation about the challenges he's faced, and and he's certainly faced a bunch. His last movie was Gem and the Holograms, which he's you know candid about, and uh, it, it wasn't well received. It made not nearly enough money for the studio or for him, and uh, you know it's not all smooth sailing for any filmmaker. So this is a good snapshot, uh, snapshot at a at a filmmaker in progress, a filmmaker finding his way, and uh, and hopefully now you see me too will do well for him because as I said, I, I do recommend it. It's um it's kind of like in that Ocean's Eleven kind of vibe. Yeah, like the whole you know big team of Sammy, move really, your mic close. Really what are you doing? You're denying people, people your wonderful voice. I'll tell you exactly what's happening, Josh. Yeah. I was listening, and I feel like sometimes. I, I have a booming voice. Right. You're, so you're trying to compensate. Yeah. I just, I don't want to. I don't think. I, I don't want to really get. Oh is this God. too close? Oh, yeah, never mind. Never mind. I uh, just. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry. People well, can handle that fuck. that voice. Now I'm upset. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go stand in the corner no, like no. the Blair Witch. You're fine. You're fine. Um, that, that, uh, yeah, I have nothing to say about Blair Witch. I was going to say something. But okay. So John Chu is the guest this week. <laughs> um, also, I should say out in theaters are, are, uh, guests, uh, from previous week. Uh, the Lonely Island have their film Pop Star that's out. Um, never I, stop stopping. Never stop. Never stopping. Um, which I, I really recommend very, very highly. We were just talking about it before the podcast. I, I was thinking about it this morning. I was laughing. I was listening to an interview with them on another podcast. Um, Fresh with Terry Gross, wonderful, and um, listening to some of their songs, and uh, I think it's a movie that's gonna really going to hold up. So if you haven't caught it, check out Pop Star, and um, 
Also, uh, you can check out, if you want a good cry, go check out Me Before You. Did you cry? You know what? I didn't cry, I'll be honest. It did not oh, make me do. actually... But I'm, I I cried. I generally cry like one or two movies a year. What's the last movie you cried at? <sighs> I don't know. One movie that always makes you cry. Well, there there are a few. Um, they're, they're the, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the, the cliches, like Field of Dreams. Um, uh, a lot, the, the, you know what movies would kind of make me uh, cry? Or like The Sacrifice, Self-Sacrifice. Ironic, because I obviously well, have yeah, no, don't have that bone in my body. Yourself, yeah, right? um, but it's like it's like it's like war films, like a Saving Private Ryan or a Glory or something like that, uh, or someone sacrificing. No, no, I would not put that in the same class. I mean, self-sacrifice, the ultimate. Sure, sure, a wonderful film in its own right, but not necessarily one that makes me cry. Like Sophie's Choice. I don't think Sophie's Choice made me cry. (laughs) Uh, Terms of endearment. All right. Okay. So you're alive. Yeah. What makes you cry? What's the last movie that made you cry? Um, I I'm a I'm an emotional uh, movie watcher. Shocking. I laugh. I cry. Uh, sometimes I sleep. You're, you're, you're like, um, uh, um, <laughs> I was going to say, going Cape Fear route. Robert De Niro, the big laugher in Cape Fear. I get Fear. compared to Robert De Niro all the He's time. He's the hearty laugher in Cape Fear. Um, the, oh, the one other thing I wanted to mention before we get to the uh, podcast uh, this week is we were talking before, I just came back from a little vacation, mm. and I had a very exciting visit. Uh, this is my, my Bureau of Tourism moment for Ireland. I went to Skellig Michael, which if you've seen Star Wars The Force Awakens and if you're listening to this podcast you have and you've probably seen it three or four times is where the end of The Force Awakens happens when Ray finds Luke and it's this very remote um, beautiful part of the world that's um, it's it's an hour long boat ride over very choppy waters and it's um, it's like this enclave of like of, of where like monks settled like thousands of years ago uh, years ago and has been preserved uh, as best as it can be there's no commercialism there it's like it's it's a rough trip and there's there's no bathroom there's no anything on the island i thought i was going to die several times i had a panic attack the night before we went <laughs> and i almost I didn't can't go i believe you did it i really cannot believe you did the it the only reason i did i think is because my wife was really getting angry at me because she kind of had built out our vacation around this mm-hmm. like this was the centerpiece right like and a, you were like, oh, I don't want to. I didn't exactly in that voice, but more of like, I don't know if I want to. Can I tell you how I picture this yeah. whole thing? I picture everybody in like very sort of uh, sporty, rustic clothing, like climbing this right. mountain. And I picture you in Converse's, a button down <laughs> and like a nice pair of khakis. I was wearing my usual wardrobe. Sparkling water and <laughs> the skelling. <laughs> We did, like, pack up, like, enough food to survive for, like, a week. Is there hummus? <laughs> Always hummus on me at all times. Yeah. No, I was wearing jeans and sneakers. Thank you very much. Converse? Uh, no. Jack Purcell's? I don't know what the brand was or like a, is. Like a sneaker? Like a real sneaker. What, a my running shoes. Shoe. My running shoes. Got when it. I run away from people like you. Right. Um. Anyway, it was a beautiful experience. I'm so happy I did it because I am not the adventurous sh- uh, sort generally. Um. I fear all things, including any sharp objects. Did you or, do it again? Uh, what the fuck? I did it. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not out of fear or anything, but like there are other. It's like, all right, enough. I have other hills to climb. Got it. Metaphoric Got it. and and literal. Got it. You're right. All right. Anyway, that's. I, I just wanted to gloat and said I actually did something semi-adventurous for once, um, and it was a blast. So there you go. 
Yeah. Anything else to say, Sammy? No, I'm really, I'm happy you made it back. Me too. Me too. Um, all right, guys, I'm back. And here is this conversation with um, a delightful uh, director, a very intelligent dude uh, by the name of John Chu. Hope you guys enjoy it and go check out uh, Now You See Me Too when it opens this Friday. I will. I wasn't talking literally to you, Sam. Well, great. I'm, but I will. I'm glad I'm that influential. Saying, you, you You're so me. suggestible. I'm going to do it now. Go see <laughs> it. I got to go right now. <laughs> Uh, very excited to be joined by John Shu. Hey, man, what's going on? It's good, good to, to see, see you. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm happy for you in this one. This is a great, a really fun movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was uh, intimidating at first to jump in uh, for a sequel of a movie that I'm a big fan of, but also with this cast. But they were, uh, everyone's been so cool and chill. And we had a blast. The yeah, funnest movie we, I've ever made. Well, you've got like every personality type in yeah. the cast. <laughs> so if you're ever bored, you can look to your left or look to your right, and you're going to see Woody Harrelson. Or Michael Caden, Morgan Freeman, and exactly. the list goes on and on. Exactly. And every time you combine them in different combinations, the energy changes, the jokes change, the rhythm changes. For any director, I like recommend working with this cast once in your life. Keeps you on your toes. It keeps you on your toes. You learn so much. You watch like master craftsmen do their thing, and and then you've got to hang, and you got to find your place in that. So yeah. it's been fun. Well, since we we have some time, I definitely want to talk, obviously, about this one, but also about sort of the arc of your career because yeah. I mean, I've talked to you a few times over the years at MTV and gotten to see like kind of your career has kind of coincided with my run at MTV and to, to get <laughs> yeah. a chance to sort of see I mean you've been very prolific you've been, you've done what I think seven or eight films seven and movies in eight years now yeah that's it's a crazy. lot yeah and it's and it's an eclectic resume to say the least yes, you've yes. a couple documentaries in there <laughs> the more random the movie the better they, they come my, to you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something random go to John yes um, I mean do you see do you see a through line in the kind of stuff that you're attracted to or is it a little bit random yeah, no, I definitely, to me, I love great stories. I love things that um, have a little bit of weird something in it, um, whether it be dance or uh, pop music or action or, in this case, magic. Like, I love having a different language other than... Uh, other than just dialogue, I love that idea, and that these forms can communicate uh, an, a character or a character evolution of some sort within them. And, 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 and now you see me too. The magic is sort of similar to where a mu- in a musical where music would be and taking a character from one place to another. So, I mean, do, do the first steps in approaching a project vary, or is kind of like it always the first, you know, always a, a basic couple questions you ask yourself whenever you take on a new project? Well, what I, I figure, like, do I want to see this movie like does it excite me and do, or and, and even if it's a movie that excites me it's not necessarily something i would take it's if it like challenges me in some way does it scare me in some way uh and if someone says oh you shouldn't do this movie more than likely i'm gonna go do that movie at that point. <laughs> like, i just love the I, I love the challenge i i feel like uh i'm a storyteller and whether it's a virgin america safety video or a uh, commercial or a campfire story or a movie right. to me that's my job and i love taking that challenge on it and 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 no matter what 
genre, no matter what thing, the more it scares me, I'm, I'm down to do. So wait, have you done a Virgin America safety video? I did do the, ver- <laughs> the, the, the big singing and dancing one that's on, that's been playing for a couple of years now. Nice. Yeah. So and that you, was, a, and you're able to like take pride in that cause it's its own form and you yeah. want to kind of like nail that in its yeah, own way. And people right? are forced to watch it by law. <laughs> exactly. Like anytime anyone, <laughs> anyone who you must watch it, I'm down to do. Uh, and I get, I get emails almost every couple of days from different friends and different people who see it. Uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the filmmaker's dream. Yes, whether they hate me or love me for it. <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter. I, I definitely get a message about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so give me a sense. Growing up, um, were you, I mean, you can tell from my office, I grew up yeah. you know, being a film nerd. Were you totally just into film from the start? Into movies? Uh, yeah, I actually was really into animation. I drew a lot. Um, I wanted to be a Disney animator. It was like that, that sort of golden age of Little Mermaid and Aladdin and all right. those things. But I also loved... Uh, musicals. I love Michael Jackson. I was obsessed. So it was like Michael Jackson, Walt Disney, um, Spielberg, and like Copperfield. Those four to me are like my. That's what I wanted. That those are my storytellers of my childhood. And, and so, you've met at least a couple of those. I would think. By yeah, now. yeah. I, I mean, speaking about this film, is, is Copperfield involved? Copperfield. In yeah, he was there um, in the sort of the writing phase and helped sort of guide that um, aspect to it. And we were just in Vegas with him, which was really fun. And <laughs> got to see. I actually never saw his show live until uh, CinemaCon, so it was cool nice. to be there um, and and actually tell him these things. Because even on the phone, we were talking about. It was mostly on the phone, and and he was working a lot with our writer Ed. Uh, it was. Uh, I hadn't really said all those things like on a personal level, but right. seeing the show sort of brings it out. And it shows you that his magic is very specific. It's very story-driven. All yeah. his stuff is um, very much in that Amblin uh, sort of world. And it's it's really fun to see it in, in, in person. So. Uh, so what about Spielberg? What was the first time you interacted with him? Uh, he is the one who found me in film right. school. That's what so I read. He saw my your short shorts, film. Yeah. 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 Uh, I got a phone call, literally. It was the same week in Dawson's Creek of the finale where Dawson gets the call from Steven Spielberg. Literally. Wait, you're Dawson? You're Dawson. I had just gotten the call and I was like, this is so bizarre because I had that conversation. Uh, and so he wanted to meet. He saw him, I'm short. And at this time, there was no YouTube. There was no way to show it online. Like nobody had a copy. It was just on like DVDs that were sort of sent out through right. different agencies and stuff. And at that point, we hadn't been sending it out. We'd just been screening it at different studios to try to build a little bit of hype. And, sure. Um, and somehow he got a copy. Uh, and I have like five different people who claim they're the ones who gave it to Steve. <laughs> Everybody wants credit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but in a weird way, he, uh, so we met up, we talked for hours. He invited me to his set. Uh, I pitched him a project the following week with my best friend. It was with him, Mike DeLuca, who was present at the time. Adam Goodman was there. Sure. Uh, and, and, um, and, um, and a bunch of other people. And, um, it, it was my first pitch ever, and me and my best friend had like, and his now wife, we had this chest full of like costumes and things, and as we're pitching it, we're putting on <laughs> wigs and putting on costumes, and I mean, looking back, I can't believe they just didn't laugh us out of the room, but they bought it. It was like Moulin Rouge, or just like running around doing all this like crazy thing, uh, and they bought the project, and uh, and 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 just by him, we never made it, but ultimately just him sort of reaching out made the whole industry pay attention, yeah, um, at least internally, and um, and that that made all the difference. I mean, that's got to be top five moments in anyone's life. Oh, I mean, right there. I mean, that, that changes someone's life. That is, yeah. as you say, that's kind of like the cliche yeah. come to life. Yes. It's it's kind of weird to talk about it, too, because you 
think about the story like oh one day he's gonna see it but yeah. that never really happens and and this was he just just a little touch and uh, people pay attention i was 22 years old and um got attached to like bye bye birdie at sony right. pushed them all to do these things and uh, it's just because of his sort of that that helps your momentum for sure yeah i mean did, did he say what he responded to in the short what kind of like a, what was the, the the nature of the short that you had yeah it's a, it was a musical about mothers the secret life of mothers um it's actually not online or anywhere i think there's a trailer online but you can't see it anywhere and um it's a 17 minute short film and and they sing and dance when everyone's gone for the day and it's a sort of secret mother society um and he I don't know what he responded. He definitely said his wife really responded to it. And he's, she's like, this is, you know, he understands us or something like that. <laughs> and he's a huge musical fan. He's always sure. wanted to do musicals. And so we, we, I remember us talking for hours about just musicals. And I think Oliver is his favorite, Oliver Twist. And so like, uh, we started, he asked like, what's that song? And I started like saying, like, um, singing it out loud. And then he started singing it. And so we were singing the song together. Um, and, uh, and then he, and then I stopped and he just did the whole, the rest of the song, like all the way through. Like I sat there for about two minutes. Uh, it was pretty crazy. It is kind of shock. Cause yeah, I mean, I'm checking through the, like my memory of his filmography. He's never done a full on musical. No, I mean, he did like, I think the opening, uh, was a uh, Raiders or, well, well, Temple of Doom Temple yeah, has Doom, that yeah, huge, exactly. great set piece. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so that's he was talking about. Like, I got to do that, yeah. but not, but not full on. So. Which I would argue, honestly, that's, I always cite that as one of my favorite opening sequences it's in so any good, film. Right? It's yes, amazing. It's really fun. So what was, um, what kind of family did you grow up in? Was it was your family steeped in the arts or was it encouraging in terms of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I grew up in Palo Alto next to Stanford and uh, my parents have a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant. It's been there for 46 years now. Um, and they never let us work at the restaurant. They always said, America's the greatest place. They came when they were like 19, 20 years old, not speaking a word of English. Right. They said, if you work hard and love what you do that's all that counts and so they didn't want us to get used to tips and fast cash so they said this will always be here for you and ultimately our dream is for you to have our restaurant but in the meantime do everything we couldn't do so every weekend they'd send us to we go to the city go see the ballet or opera season or uh, uh or dance shows right. um um or ballet season and we took drum i took drum saxophone violin guitar piano i was in tap classes uh, not good at any of these, by the way. <laughs> I was not, but it, it influenced me. And, and all my friends were in these worlds. Yeah. And I was always drawing, so I always wanted to be an animator. And then one day we were on vacation and they had this giant camera, like a, one of those like VHS camera which goes on your sure. uh, shoulders. And then, uh, and I started shooting stuff for my family. And I got this little um, editor from Sharper Image. Like, it was like a $200 like SEMA mixer you could put in like, your stereo sure. and stuff. And VHS to VHS. Um, and I was probably like 10, 11 years old. Uh, cut this thing together and showed them. And they started crying when they watched it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Just to kind of, of bring, bring that emotion to your family. That's, yes. that's a huge uh, boon to your totally. ego, right? And it gave yeah. me like a, a voice. Like I was... Yeah. Youngest of five, you sort of get drowned out. You just sort of listen to people talk most right. of the time, and you're the last one to grab food and all this stuff. And uh, so it gave me a voice. It gave me something like 
I could not necessarily hide behind, but I could like use as sort of a bridge to get my voice out, and that was really powerful for me. What um, you, you alluded to this a little bit in some of your influences, but what were the the films you knew by heart as a kid? What were the ones that you kind of wore out the VHS? As a kid, or? oh, I mean, Back to the Future for sure. Yeah. Uh, we watched WWF all the time, <laughs> so that was a big no matter how, and we played toys all the time right. but those I would say E.T. Uh, for sure Batman was like huge for me at the time like that made me uh want to make franchise films too yeah. like that was that whole the Prince song the whole Jack Nicholson stuff like we watched we definitely broke that tape I remember that that I mean yeah I mean I'm, I think I'm a couple years older than you but like even and I grew up here in the city but like when that film came out I mean we're kind of used to like these tent poles now kind of like yeah. taking over like getting in the zeitgeist like yeah. that was one of the first ones I remember where it was like it was a whole new thing and it yeah. changed the paradigm of what like those movies could be yeah it's hard to remember exactly how it fit in everybody it being such a huge event and all music toys yep. tv and uh and, and, and movie that it was like this giant machine and you could not not see it exactly so or even like going to see the like during little mermaid and, and when i went to see lion king I go, on, I go opening weekend for all these things and right. I remember seeing Lion King like three times opening weekend uh, at this theater and people were cheering when Mufasa came on and booing when Scar would come on <laughs> and I just remember thinking this is odd like no other form art form in the world allows this kind of interaction yeah. and, uh, and and so all those things really got, got me excited I mean do, do you think that that is almost a part of why you're attracted to some of the things that you've done in that a lot of your films kind of provoke that kind of like extreme frank emotion whether yeah. it's the step up films these are films you kind of like want to get up and, and dance or, or yeah. Bieber docks etc I mean that can yeah. leave a, a crowd crying you know, <laughs> you know the effect he has on people um, because I mean that that's clearly what film did to you and, and what you did to your family through film yeah uh, i guess it's about emotion at the end of the day right yeah and i never something. fully like unpacked that idea but i definitely love the community aspect to it i love even when michael jackson would premiere uh his videos after the simpsons on sunday night and you're waiting for remember the time or black right. and white and you're crowded around the tv set like that community that idea that we could share this dream together on a big screen on a small screen uh always got me excited made me like and and any sort of fad i was into whether it's pogs or tamagotchi <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. or like collecting i collected basketball cards baseball cards uh like i love that sort of pop idea that everyone joins in some sort of motion together yeah. so yeah i guess in, in my movies i'm always attracted to that idea of an event did and was usc the right fit for you did that feel like learning the craft of it is it a competitive atmosphere give me a sense of sort of where your head was at clearly it gave you the tools to create these shorts that obviously you know let you get your name out there yeah. but uh, did it feel like a nurturing kind of atmosphere for you yeah i mean i i went to a school a small school that all my brothers and sisters had gone to from mm -hmm. kindergarten through high school so they all would mistake my name for my my older brother's name and so uh, but it was a very nurturing environment there and i so as soon as i w knew i wanted to be a filmmaker it was like third or fourth grade um i there's only one there's usc and my all my brothers and sisters went to ucla um and so there was a little bit of pull to go to ucla as well but i only applied to film schools yeah and um 
in the end of the day, it was a perfect because it's in a big city. It's in the city. I had right. gotten in freshman year, so I didn't have to. At UCLA, you have to wait till you're a, G, a sophomore to apply. Mm. So I uh, I chose USC, and it even though it's in a big city, it has a lot of kids. It feels the campus is so it's small. Its thing, it feels yeah. like its own thing. Mm-hmm. So it really helped uh, feel like it was just one step up from my little high school in Palo Alto. Um, And film school is not for everyone. Like it depends on what kind of movies you want to make, what kind of person you are. For me, it was the perfect fit because it wasn't even really about the craft of making movies. Right. Yes. There was education about the history, which was really helpful for me, but it was really about the community that you're being placed into where these other students who love movies more than you do, uh, who've seen more movies than you have, you're not the only one now. And you're amongst this group of people that love it just as much as you do and more. And then you can help each other, um, help them on their projects. They can help you on your projects. Right. Everyone's there to, uh, to, to make things. And that environment allowed me to make stuff that was in my head, make a lot of mistakes and also make some things that actually helped me. Um, and without that community, if I was out and about, you'd have to pay these people and I don't have, we don't, wouldn't have that resource. Right. So, and this, these people are people i still make movies with. And so that, um, that environment I think was really crucial. I could not have gotten into the business. I didn't know anybody, uh, to be able to do that. I knew nobody in LA. Right. Um, and you found an immediate community that you could, could draw upon and absolutely. feed your creative soul and literally just do the job around you. Absolutely. And, 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 and USC always says like, we're not a craft school. Like if you want to learn how to edit, mm-hmm. you can go to a lot of different schools. You can learn on yourself. Really. You could be on set. Uh, but they're about appreciation of the art form, understanding grammar, audio, visual, uh, storytelling, grammar. Yeah. Um, you can write, anyone can write a sentence. You can learn to write a sentence, but how do you make a paragraph uh, and actually draw the uh, draw the audience in and, 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 and know what rules there are so you can break them or not? Hey guys, do you love books but find that you never actually have the time to read them? Well, audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, audible.com provides over 250 thousand titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Plus, their app is free and works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. Plus, unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own the books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. So if you decide you don't like the book you chose, don't worry about it. You can actually exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. And just for listeners of Happy, Sad, Confused, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. So go to audible.com slash happy sad right now to start your free trial today. Again, show your support for Happy, Sad, Confused and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash happy sad. Is a lot of that at this point to you second nature? Like when you look at a script, you kind of like, okay, I can, I can see how to translate this into into an image, into a moment right now. Or is it yes. still applying yes, I, something? No, I'm definitely like, I can read something and it takes me forever to read because I'm, I see every moment of it. Mm. As soon as I read something, I can tell you exactly the color of the shirt, the seat they're sitting on. However, 
I think it's really, that's really dangerous. I think because those, your instinct sometimes comes from a very shallow place, maybe. Something's mm-hmm. like right on the tip of your, your, your brain. What, and whereas that can help maybe in the moment when you're shooting and you're sure. with actors and you don't ever want to like put an edit system in your head like that. I think when you're first starting, you first read a script, I think it's really dangerous to go to your defaults. I think you've got to go like five layers down first. So right. um, I'll write down my first instinct when I read a script or when I read a new idea. Um, and then, uh, and because I think that's really important because that's the only time you're going to experience the movie fresh. Right. So you know, when I finish editing in all my whole movie, I go back to those first set of notes. And I, did I adjust this? Did I fix that? Did I feel this? Am, where are the mistakes that the, the, the new eyes that are going to see this are going to feel that I felt? Um, but I also try to put that to the side when I first read a script to then say, okay, let's go dig, dig deeper. Let's go another sure. layer. And every time you bring on a new crew member or a new cast member, especially, you're digging deeper, 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 deeper. Right. deeper. So uh, it's kind of a tricky thing. You, you, you want to trust your first instincts, but... I think it can, and the more movies I do, the more dangerous it feels like it gets because then you start to repeat yourself and you start to, those places that were subconscious are now ingrained. And I think that's, that's scary. Well, what about, I mean, just backtracking a little bit, I'm curious, like, I mean, the, the, the Frank, frankly, the dearth of Asian American filmmakers when you're a kid, is that something that even occurs to you? Like there aren't people quote unquote, like me that are doing this. Yeah. Do, am I going to, where do I fit into the system? Is that something that occurs to you at the time or in retrospect, is it just sort of, you're so in it, you don't think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I definitely didn't recognize it at the time. I mean, definitely as a kid. Uh, not, not hopefully you're of, not. Hopefully you wouldn't. Yeah, kill. I wasn't like, like, oh my gosh, why isn't there an Asian Steven Spielberg or something right. like that? When I was young, I didn't have those thoughts. Uh, and even when I was making my movies in school or things like that, I think it was different because we had a, a lot of Asian kids in our program, but they were from China or right. from Taiwan or from Hong Kong coming into the program. So I felt very different than those. I, I, I. I I was an all-American kid, really. So uh, I saw myself as that. So I never really... Yeah. It's not until later in life as I sort of look back and realize like those roads were paved by other people. The reason I don't feel those things is because people stuck their neck, right. necks out, took risks, paved that way for myself. And so the more important it, it is as I grow to know that I need to help open the, continue to open those doors or pave new paths yeah. for more voices. I think it's a, uh, it's also, it's not just about Asian. I think it's just like more voices in audiovisual storytelling is yeah. good for everybody. Um, especially when we're stuck in sort of uh, superhero land, yep. which I love, yeah. but at the same time, like uh, the, the film, the film art needs all the voices that it can get. It's interesting. I feel like we're in that phase like I'm curious to see, like looking back, like when we're older gentlemen, thirty years from now, like sort of yes. at this period, because it feels like we're at the phase where we're all talking about it at least. Like mm-hmm. we're in a really good space where everybody like this comes up a lot. Yes. Whether it's uh, yes involving different voices in whatever whatever ethnicity, gender, etc., and it'll just be interesting to see like how quickly the shift happens. It feels like this generation uh, is hopefully not as dyed in the wool um, as the previous one. Yeah, but totally. It's just, when I see something like Masters of None, I'm like. Yeah, it's it's a subtle shift, but like that's a huge shift yeah. actually when you when you look at it, um, and and the fact that people are responding, and I can feel it in meetings that I go to now, even even in the last year with the Oscar so white stuff, yeah. the whitewashed out uh, stuff, it 
you go into a, 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 a business meeting now, a script meeting, it comes up. Yeah. And I guess it's more like what I try to do in those meetings now is not do it as a token, not do because those things, the easy way is still like they try to pull that cord all the time. Like, yeah. oh, you just add the friend, add yeah. the friend, add the friend. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, you can do that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe people will fall for that. But, like, real characters, let's build the character around this idea. Yeah. And, um, and as more executives, uh, there's more diverse executive people than you can have those people to turn to. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you the pressure that people put on is not just people complaining, although it's sometimes really annoying on my Facebook feed. Um, that annoying is okay. I think it's important. And I think especially Asians who uh, have not spoken out as a community, as a whole, yeah. I think it really helps um, put the pressure on and it does literally make a difference. Did you have much um, perspective or response in the, like the two recent examples, right? Where the Scarlett Johansson thing and mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton, Doctor Strange, did that rub you the wrong way? Did you feel like those are just isolated examples and let's not make too much of it or did it feel like that's endemic of the yeah. system i think it's a tricky one um i definitely feel certain roles that are meant for asian actors it's so it's it, it's it's um it's hard to see when you can tell an executive shifting that for a specific reason right uh which are kind of simply outdated reasons but i also on a filmmaker side hate the idea of people telling a filmmaker, an artist, how to do their job. Right. So I think the awareness, bringing it up, making it an issue, I think is important. I think the tricky line is saying, you filmmaker are doing the wrong type of art by doing that. Like, to me, I'm like, art is art. You create, like, every storyteller has their own way of doing whatever. It's good to make them aware of maybe it's something deeply ingrained, but it's hard to say that that filmmaker is racist. Right. I think that's a strong word, and uh, and I, and I think that it's and I, I'm against telling artists how to do their art because you've been in the position, you know what yeah, it's, what it entails. Exactly. Yeah, it's a little exactly. complicated, and it's not always um, no pun intended, black or white. Like yeah. there's like when you have like something for us it was like uh gem in the holograms and uh i to me as an artist growing up i hated the token asian character Mm -hmm. and her name is asia Asia, (laughs) but asia really and i hated it felt being talked down to to me and so when i make adjustments in gem and we had um a more mixed both of them both the both Aja and Shayna I got and one it was never actually I never consciously said we're gonna make this person mixed or anything it was literally the best people yeah, for the job yeah. that I that in the girls uh, chemistry um so I get when people are like oh my gosh our only like uh black gem and a hologram is now half and half like yeah you can say you have every right to say that that's we put ourselves out there to say that but to say that i purposely did that to whitewash something is kind of ridiculous for me um and to attack me of doing that one i my perspective is like america is has many different things and we found the people that fit the, the the role the best um and so so that and and two it's 
a cartoon as well, so it's a little bit different. But either way, I, I so I, I feel both sides, sure. and I know where it can be tricky and all those things. But I also look at someone um, like Aurora, who's super, who plays Shana in art, and she's super talented. And the amount of times she gets told she's not black enough, and the amount of times she gets told you're not white enough, so then what role is that for her? And 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 the amount of friends that I have who are mixed who have that same issue, yeah. you could make an argument for all, any of those sides. And so ultimately, you're like, well, where are we here? So um, I get all sides. <laughs> I get that it's complicated. But let's just all say our piece and say, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. Instead of like trying to take someone down for that, I think is just not... Right. You, you, you mentioned Gem, which which obviously was a tough road for, for you guys. Yeah. I mean, it didn't succeed commercially as you would probably mm-hmm. hope it would. Uh, I'm curious, like looking back at, at the film so far, like, do you do you feel like you're learning more from the successes or the maybe a mistake is too strong a word, but the ones that don't resonate in the yeah. way you want them to? Well, I'm really proud of Gem. Mm-hmm. I would show Gem on my reel to anybody. It's not a movie for a 20-year-old man. It's not a movie for a 35-year-old mother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, although, if you like Gem, you probably could see your things. It was also a uh, prequel to what the Gem cartoon would become. Right. And maybe we weren't clear on that. Maybe our marketing was off on all those things. Uh, I wish people gave it a chance when we had released it. Clearly, when you don't make that much money on that weekend, like that low... People aren't even the awareness people, is off. People, they, they don't yeah. know what they're. They getting. don't even know what yeah. they're getting, yeah. and they don't even know they have they they don't they haven't seen it to make an opinion. Yeah. Since it's been out, uh, in other ways, it's been great. I've been getting such great feedback. I've been getting such great messages saying, "Hey, I was hating on it, but I just saw it, and my nine year old is obsessed with the music, and we're having a birthday party, and all this stuff." Like it's been very nice to feel that. Nice. Um, and so. It, so did I, I? I don't think I. I don't have any shame in that movie in any sort of way. I would do it over again. I am so proud of the movie. Uh, I think what I learned mostly from that experience was it tested why I make movies. It tested when it doesn't do well. You, you can either be crushed by that idea, uh, and and reject the movie or reject this idea because the audience rejected, or you. Uh, you realize that that's not why you're doing this. Yeah. You're in the. I'm in the movie business to make movies. I'm not in the movie business to write movies or develop movies. Like I make movies. I tell stories. Some people will like. Some people won't. Some people will be iffy on whatever. Uh, and some people will hate it. But other people will you will watch it over and over for the rest right. of their lives. I have a lot of movies that I feel feel like that too. So for me, it only refocused why I make things. And for me, it's to bring a community together and to, and to really show that we're not alone in our struggles. Like yeah. we all feel out of place. We all feel alone. We all feel like we're trying to find where we are in this world. And movies say, yes, everybody struggles with that idea and it's going to be okay. Like right. we all go through that. Everyone that's existed has gone through that. And so uh, that is really powerful to me. And without something like Gem to say, listen, your movie is not a hit. That's easy to be excited, you know, to be making movies when your movie is a hit. Um, I think it, 
it, it made me stronger as 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 and had more have more resolve to the stories that I'm, I'm telling. Well, I, I, it's good to hear you say that because I feel like the biggest danger out of something like that is like to readjust in the wrong way. Where, where you're like, okay, to chase an audience, yeah. to chase what you think they want, yes. and not trust. As you said, I think you're finding a good balance and kind of like trusting your own instincts to a point. Yes, and then kind of realizing that you know, dig deeper, dig deeper. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, but to make it too market driven etc you have to be true to yourself in the end you have to make the movie you want to see that you believe in and and i think that fear is the worst thing for creativity like when we're in notes meetings fear is the only thing that can destroy our great idea and and i'm not immune to it i'm actually uh i have to really protect and 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 protect myself from having fear of doing this or doing that especially as a director your job is to be the one without the fear and so when fear creeps into your brain, uh, it's really easy to succumb to it because you have this sort of golden palace. You can sort of step away from it and not take responsibility for these things. Uh, but I never, I, I, I thought to myself, and I remember at that moment thinking, the worst thing that can happen from this experience is having fear now rule when I'm making a decision about what movie I want to do or when I'm developing a movie or getting a movie on its feet. So I took a lot of time to make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, Even if I'm wrong, even not even wrong, even if people don't like my movies from now on till Mm -hmm. the end of time. And I totally like, I cannot let that affect my creativity because my creativity will be dead if it, it seeps in. So, uh, I made a big effort to, to make sure that did. That did well, uh, and, and I think it speaks well to you that, I mean, no matter what you, you know, the, the movie hasn't come out yet, so hopefully it'll do great. But yes. like you, the, the bottom line is, um, to, to, from my perspective, you made a really uh, successful movie, a very entertaining movie and a very uh, difficult movie. Yeah. I mean, this is a, it's a lot like, to balance. It's a lot <laughs> to balance. It's a huge, I mean, as great as the benefits are of having a huge ensemble, yes. you got to balance a huge ensemble yes. and it's, and it's, um, you know, you're, you've jumped into a couple franchises midstream, and you're doing yeah. that again here. Um, give me a sense of sort of what's going into this. Oh, a like what what the biggest appeal of something like Now You See Me Too is, and then what the biggest challenge to your mind is the thing to keep your eye on mm-hmm. on the ball about. Um, well, going into this movie, I was still in the middle of jam- making Jam. Yeah, and we had just finished shooting. We had like a 22 day shoot for that movie and so I knew we were we did it for little very little money um, and we knew there was a huge risk for that I wasn't getting paid so it was like all right uh, we're gonna find another movie soon Um, and and they came to me and and I at that point I was like I'm not doing any sequels anymore (laughs) don't want to be that guy I can't still be that guy exactly exactly and um, and I had many conversations with my team and even with Lionsgate because Eric Feig who's the president gave me my first movie and they were trying to get me to do a couple other movies that weren't sequels um, as G.I. Joe was trying to take me for G.I. Joe 3 and they were like why are you doing another sequel and then all of a sudden they're like oh you should do this sequel so it was a very um, interesting time but uh, I couldn't say no when you are talking about magic. I love the first movie. I'm a fan of the first movie. Uh, and uh, the cast itself, you're like, this is a really cool opportunity. Yeah. And I could see how we could flip flip it. I saw how the first movie was a magic trick for the audience. And in this one, we could actually be behind the curtain and be with the horsemen this time, right. which were my favorite parts of the first movie. So I clearly saw... An opportunity to do that with um 
And so, yeah, I jumped at the opportunity. And I know a lot of the players there, the uh, like Eric Feig and Bobby Cohen, sure. who are some of the producers. Um, I love Alex Kurtzman. And so I, and I wanted to work with this cast. So it sort of happened very naturally in that way. And so I left in the middle of editing Jam. Yeah. We had, a, a, I did a director's cut. We scored really big in that, in our test for Jam. So I was like, all right, we knew. I we got were, it. I you got guys it. take care of the rest. I'm good. <laughs> no, we knew we were coming out for a year. So I went for nine months to London and we shot this movie and uh, it was, uh, it was a blast. We had a great time. Uh, Woody, uh, who returns for this and Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. plays not one. I mean, I know it's, it was revealed, I think in EW or something, yeah. but he's playing two roles. He's playing his own twin oh, brother. Oh yeah, his this, evil twin brother. Which I didn't know, which I love. I mean, please, I mean, talking back to our influences as a kid, I I just think I think of Knight Rider, David Hasselhoff playing his own evil brother Garth, uh, yes, <laughs> with a goatee, yes. right? <laughs> um, he, he gives two great performances in this. Is he doing any kind of uh, McConaughey thing? Is the, is the twin brother a little bit of McConaughey in there, or is that just me? I mean, you're gonna have to ask him okay, all those questions. I honestly didn't even know what we were gonna get with Chase. <laughs> Uh, that's the the twin brother's name. When we started this, we started to explore looks, and we started to explore the character. And he's like, "I don't, I want, I don't want to set anything for the character until I see how he looks." Right. So then we started with like uh, perfect teeth, perfect nose, <laughs> perfect full head of hair, and we did like a million different versions. And even then, he was like, "I don't know how to, I, I don't know what it's going to sound like." We're like, "Okay, let's let's." And I kept thinking in my head, "All right." I remember reading these articles about Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, they all freaked out. Like, it was right, genius. Right, right. Like, how am I going to know if it's genius or <laughs> insane and or ridiculous? The fine one. And so there was a certain point I was like, I can't know. I actually have to just, I'm going to trust. It's Woody Harrelson. Yeah. He's, he, let's, let's see what happens. And so he put on the outfit the first day, and this character just came out. Like, <laughs> the way he talks was challenging because it has no real speech pattern. It's like <laughs> the the more natural speech pattern, he goes against all those things. So like a line, a, a last line in a scene, like doesn't feel like the last line. It feels like it's a spot right. to start a new one. <laughs> and so it was very difficult for me to find, but I had promised myself, trust it, trust it, trust it, yeah. trust it. And uh, he was right. He created this really weird, it's random great. character. <laughs> Very entertaining. <laughs> I can tell he's having a good time, and I think the audience will have a good time with it, too. Yes. Um, do you, are there any, are there any, you're kind of like linked, I think, for life, probably, with Justin Bieber, thanks to your, <laughs> yes. your associations Somehow, in directing his, uh, two of his uh, docs. Yeah. Do you, are there any minuses? I feel like our friends or nieces or nephews always hitting you up for, <laughs> for favors or tickets or something? The amount of texts I get when he's around in town to get tickets to his show is enormous. Yes, it <laughs> Do you is. want to say anything for the record for people that you, you can't hook them up? I'm sorry. Basically, yes. <laughs> I could have gotten the, you know some meet and greets here and there, but he's you know put the kibosh on the meet and greets, right. so That's no right. more meet and greets. So. I mean, do, do you feel like still? Do you feel like close to that? His, him and that situation. It's such like he he's. Look, he's as famous as a human being is on the planet right yeah, now, and he's yeah. go- he, no one can understand what he's going through. I mean, your your docs maybe helped a little yeah, bit on yeah, that, but um, it, it's it's oh, it's never going to be easy for him, and it's, it's never easy. And I actually, I'm so proud that he has come out the other end, and I, there's a a lot longer of a journey to go. Yeah. But I feel like it's a miracle that anyone that age with those opportunities can come out of it unscathed. Like yeah. when it is a tradition to have a young pop star uh, become a train wreck for all time, it's like, it's not the problem with the person, it's the problem with 
us yeah. and us deciding to milk that person all they, their whole soul until they don't know how to stand up anymore. And yeah. I feel like when I started with him, I didn't know who he really was, got to know him, got to uh, love him as, as a little brother. And I never had a little brother. And I saw the family around him and the people around him. And I could see he's a really good person. And also, I was very scared of the train that was coming towards him. And no matter how much you talk about it at the time and, and show him the stuff of like, this is what you could become. Don't do that. Don't do that. He has to go through his own journey. So right. when he was going through all that stuff, even while we we're showing believe you could, I could still see him inside there. Like it's could still see his, um, his good heart inside all of this sort of, uh, show that he was doing and trying to find his soul. I mean, if I had a camera on me when I was 16, 17, it would be a disaster. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> so the fact that he took control of his, life and his empire frankly and um uh a year later basically and has gotten his life together and created amazing music and he's always the only reason i knew he was always going to survive this at least artistically was he is a musician like he records makes music every day of his life he yeah, has he's the real folder yeah. in his computer every city he goes to and he has like five songs in each folder it never ends if you leave him in a room he's creating music and to me someone who loves the craft that much and not necessarily all the other stuff is someone who is loves the craft and yeah. will continue to do that whether someone's paying him or not whether people like him or not so i'm just really glad that he, he was able to do that and make an album that people actually could cut through all the uh, stuff and find themselves. And I think yeah. that that's uh, a testament to his actual real talent. And I'm sure he's going to go through more I and mean, he's growing and he's changing and he, but he's aware of that and uh, we'll see how it goes. But it's a, it's, I would love to make more movies about him as his, life progresses to, it could be to, like the, the seven up series that's what i'm Justin saying <laughs> we've talked about that a lot actually meet him and uh i think he's open to the idea that, be amazing so, yeah. um uh, have you seen oh, the last week on the podcast we had on uh, the lonely island for pop star oh nice uh, <laughs> I've seen the, they were doing junkets next to us today and i it looks hilarious it's and, it's and what a <laughs> honor to have them to have shots and scenes from what we have uh, I love that. And I love that. I'm a huge fan of theirs. So that's pretty cool. Did it, uh, not to bring up but maybe, I don't know how unpleasant a subject it is to you, but like uh, Channing had some pr pretty frank things to say recently about G.I. Joe retaliation. Did he hear? <laughs> I did not hear this, no. So, I mean, he, he said basically he's, it wasn't a very positive view of the film. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, does that bum you out to hear that? Do you, uh, what's your what's your recollection or feeling? Because again, that's a, that's a tough process. Yeah. I know you guys, his star was at a weird place. They were figuring out how much they wanted him in the film or could have him in the film. Totally. Totally. Um, did well, you feel like you were in control of that one or there were other considerations? Or? No, I mean, I, I'm close with Channing. And so, no, I don't. To me, he, the first movie was hard for him. Um, and I, don't, I haven't seen what he said, so I don't, I don't exactly know. Other than I know the first movie was very difficult for him yeah. because they basically forced him to be in that movie. Right. It was, it was contractual, a contractual right? yeah. thing. And he never, no one ever thinks someone's going to sue you to not, if you don't want to be in a movie, but apparently, and this is some, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently that's what he felt like was happening. And so he came into that movie feeling like chained. Uh, and so when we were working on, 
he didn't have to come in for a step up too, but he came in as we had just met. He was like, I'm down. I'm down to help nice. out. I love the franchise. It's always helped me. So he came out out of his goodwill to help transition step up two sure. step up franchise. And so when it came down to this next GI Joe, uh, I basically was like, Hey, I want to help you get out. Cause he didn't want to, do G.I. Joe again. It was, you know, his, his, that was, uh, that I would not want to do yeah, that yeah, if you were forced to do something. Uh, they could have forced him at a certain point, but with a new regime, it's myself and we're like, no, we're not going to do that to you. Uh, but help, help us get us, uh, get you out. Yeah. And uh, so there was never ever a question of like, I think there was like a bunch of rumors of like, oh, they're doing reshoots to keep him in it. Like, I mean, that was not even a choice. That was before I even got in. It was sort of like, we have to get Channing out. How do we build that into got this it. thing? Um, so uh, he was, we sat down. We were like, I think we did this before in Step Up. <laughs> uh, he was the best. He's like the most kindest. I'm sure you you, you know him. But, sure. uh I love that guy so much. So I know that no matter what he says about whatever this, like he's a great guy and, 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 and he never had to do any of these things for us. Right. He could have said no to coming into G.I. Joe retaliation, being part of that, but he was down. So yeah. Uh, to be fair, it was like a Howard Stern interview, so he was probably saying shit about anything because Howard can make yeah, you say anything <laughs> about anything. It's true. But I know for a fact that it was a hard for yeah. G.I. Joe 1. G.I. Joe 2, even when he came, when he's on set, he like was the nicest. My parents loved him. He like, Everybody loves birthday, he's he, the best. He yeah. got the cake for me. He cut the cake. <laughs> he was like, you know, uh, he, he's, a, he's a really good guy. I mean, at this point, you kind of alluded to this before you uh, took on Now You See Me 2 and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do another sequel. I mean, so much of your of your body of work has been like intellectual property, like properties that people are well aware of. Is, yeah. is part of you kind of like... That's a whole nother level of complexity and baggage. Like, I just want to do something that's off the radar, that's my own thing, and prove myself in a in a totally different realm. Is, yeah, is there an uh, impetus to do that? No, totally, there... totally. I feel like I'm in, in the beginning of my career, and yeah. like every experience, I, I see filmmaking, storytelling as a long journey, and as an artist, you change and you shift. And um, so, I never feel like not anything's the end all, be all. Like yeah. the more random the movie, the more out there that you something that you don't expect from me the better um and i'll learn my way and and and, and figure it out so um so yeah i um i just like the journey yeah so what's what's the next one for you do you know what you're directing next uh i don't know i have a couple of things that i'm attached to okay. um you know if the audience loves now you see me too uh there's some ideas that could be great for Now You See Me 3, but we'll see. Um, that's up to the audience. Wait, is Woody part of triplets? Are there three of them? <laughs> you never know. A sister in there somewhere. I'd watch it. Uh, <laughs> Woody in a wig. Why not? Exactly. Uh, and then I'm attached to Crazy Rich Asians, right. uh, which is a really great book. Kevin Kwan wrote it. Um, all Asian cast. Uh, Nina Jacobson producing with Brad Simpson. And um, it, it's a really great, feels timely, feels like it's what I do, but um, with an all Asian cast, which is really cool. And uh, I've been a fan about of, with a lot of people. We want to create sort of an all star Asian cast for that, and it's a Amazing. fully like uh, a movie that I think can appeal all across the world. That's so. awesome. And just because it comes up in every conversation, if you're a movie fan today, comic book movies. Yes. What's the, what's the one? I give you free reign. You can take over any comic book character that's <laughs> that's already being made, or is it still in the ether? Who do you want? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, honestly, I would love to um i mean 
I'm a huge dinosaur fan, so I would take over Jurassic World of some sort because that, that, that franchise that, is going strong. There's there'll be plenty of them, but that's that's <laughs> one that I uh, I would love. To Did do. you make a pitch? Did you get in the room on one of no, those? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I once wrote a letter to Stephen Bing. Hey, if you ever make another one of these, well, you've got an uh, in. But I did get yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's funny because uh, Stephen's son Theo, mm-hmm. um, when I was doing Never Say Never, was looking at the movie business a little bit, but he's also a huge music guy. Oh, nice. And so um, they called me and said, hey, do you mind if he like, like interns or just like hangs out while you're cutting Never Say Never? I was like, okay, that's, if, if he's okay with being around like a Justin Bieber movie. <laughs> so he came out and totally helped us out. He uh, nice. was awesome. And so, uh, so we would yell, Spielberg, get over here, bring in the water every once in a while. But uh, so, yes. So what would you do with Jurassic? Any, any, do you have a pitch right now you want to make? <laughs> uh, I, I, I would do a lot of things, but I will, we'll keep that okay. quiet okay. for now okay. until uh, I can get that one in to see him All right. as soon as possible. Well, best of luck on that one. And best of luck on this. Now, now You See Me Too is the new film, as I said. Uh, it, it, these, these, are, these are tough films to make, and you guys really accomplished something really fun. It's, it's, it stands uh, among the great caper films in recent years. If you love Ocean's Eleven, the first Now You See Me, I think you're going to dig Now You See Me Too. So um, it's good to see you, man. Cool. Thank you. You too. Sarah Thayer. And I'm Susan Orlean. And nothing makes us happier than hearing what makes people cry. On our show, Cry Babies, we talk to comedians, musicians, writers, and other awesome people about what makes them cry. And sometimes we cry too. But it's the good kind of crying. Yeah. Therapeutic. Yeah. Like when Drew Drogi told us why he loves Dead Poets Society. When it came out, I, I loved English. I wanted to be an English teacher. I was obsessed with that whole world, and I boys boarding school. I thought that just looked so amazing. (laughs) Also, like Robert Sean Leonard was like an actor, and you know, and I just thought that was such a that's such a fabulous thing to be. So listen to Crybabies. Find us on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.